Hollywood, the dating capital of the world. It's the dating game. Here's the star of our show, your host, Jim Lyon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to the dating game. And we'll get right underway. It's time to meet our first three eligible bachelors for game number one. And here they are. Good luck, gentlemen. Well, let's see. Bachelor number one is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. <laughs> Between takes, he might find him skydiving or motorcycling. Please welcome Rodney Alcala. Rod, welcome. And it's time to meet our young lady for game number one. And here she is. Here is a young lady with a wealth of experience. She once earned a living massaging feet, but she quit when her boss suggested that she work her way up. Then she taught school in Phoenix, Arizona, and now she's here to educate our three bachelors in the art of amour. Welcome, if you will, sensational Cheryl Bradshaw. Hello, Cheryl. Mm, don't sit down yet. Just a minute. Want to make sure everything is straight. You relax? You feel okay? All right. You know there are three bachelors over there. There'll be one, two, and three. Ask them anything you like to find out more about them, except their name, age, occupation, or income, okay? And we're going to start by having them say hello to you and see how they sound. Number one. Would you say hello to Cheryl, please? We're going to have a great time together, Cheryl. Okay. And here we go. Bachelor number one. Yes? What's your best time? The best time is at night. Nighttime. Why do you say that? Because that's the only time there is. The only time? What's wrong with uh, morning, afternoon? Well, they're okay, but nighttime is when it really gets good. Then you're really ready. I'm a drama teacher, and I'm going to audition each of you for my private class. Bachelor number one, you're a dirty old man. Take it. Come on, over here. Number one, I am serving you for dinner. Oh. What are you called and what do you look like? I'm called the banana and I look really good. Uh, can you be a little more descriptive? Peel me. <laughs> One later. <laughs> Welcome back to the dating game. And Cheryl, we have reached the moment of truth, as we call it. You heard from the bachelors. You got some great dramatic presentations, some good answers. But now I'm going to ask you a question. Will that date be bachelor number one, bachelor number two, or bachelor number three? Who gets the dates? Well, I like bananas, so I'll take one. Number one, bachelor number one. All right. Well, there they go. However, you did leave one remaining, and this is your date, and I want to tell you something about him, Cheryl. He's a skydiver, so he's got a lot of nerve. He's into motorcycling. He's also a fine photographer. Say hello to Rodney Alcala. Rodney, come on and say hello. Congratulations, Rod. You did it with the one answer. Rodney. 
Thank you. Okay. You can go relax, meet each other, say hello, get acquainted, and they'll be back. And before we begin our next game, let's find out what runners-up we'll receive today from Johnny Jacob. Hello. Welcome. This is Flames of the Two Cities. The 1970s was quite an iconic time for its series of game shows. There was the $100,000 Pyramid, a password game that came out in 1973, The Price is Right, which came out in 1972, Family Feud, 1976, The Gong Show, also 1976, and of course, The Dating Game. The premise of The Dating Game was simple. You were literally on a blind date with three different partners. You would ask a series of questions, ranging from stupid to sexual, and the three would compete to give you the right response. In the end, you choose the winner, and both of you would go on a date. Innocent, right? But what if that person that managed to slip through the casting cracks of Hollywood was a monster? What if that person managed to smile and speak his way into your heart? Can you really trust someone from a first impression? Rodney James Alcala was born Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Bucuar on August 23, 1943. He was born in San Antonio, Texas to Raul Alcala Bucuar and Ana Maria Gutierrez. In 1951, his father moved the family to Mexico but then abandoned them. His mother then moved the family to Los Angeles. In 1960, he joined the U.S. Army, where he served as a clerk. In 1964, he experienced a nervous breakdown by going AWOL and hitchhiked from Fort Bragg to his mother's house. The military therapist diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder, and then he was discharged shortly after. Other psychiatric experts have diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and malignant narcissistic personality disorder with psychopathy and sexual sadism coordinates. Alcala's first known crime was in 1968 when he lured an 8-year-old girl named Tali Shapiro into his Hollywood apartment. The girl survived but she was raped and beaten with a steel bar. Alcala managed to flee from the police and moved to New York to go to NYU film school using the name John Berger. In 1971, he became a counselor at a New Hampshire arts camp for children using the slightly different alias John Berger with a U, which also leads us to his second victim, Cornelia Michael Crilly a 23-year-old Transworld Airlines flight attendant. She was found dead in 1971, and it wasn't attributed to Alcala until 2011. He was first put on FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list in early of 1971. While still working at the camp, two children managed to recognize his photo, and he was arrested and extradited to California. 
Unfortunately, since Telly Shapiro's parents moved her and her family to Mexico, she never testified at his court case, and he was unable to be convicted of rape and attempted murder. However, he did plead guilty to assault and was given parole after 17 months. His freedom didn't last long because two months after his release, he was rearrested after assaulting a 13-year-old who thought he was just giving her a ride to school. Once again, he was paroled after serving two years. Justice can be blind, but also very stupid. And after Alcala's second release, the parole officer proved it. In 1977, Alcala's parole officer let Alcala, a flight risk, travel to New York. It was believed that during that time he killed Ellen Jane Hover, 23, daughter of owner of the popular Hollywood nightclub Ciro's, and goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. In 1978, Alcala worked for a short time at the Los Angeles Times as a typesetter and was interviewed by members of the Hillside Strangler Task Force as part of their investigation of known sex offenders. During that time, Alcala told hundreds of young men and women that he was a professional fashion photographer and photographed them for his portfolio. It is the perfect trap for hopeful starlets. He shared his photos with his workmates at the LA Times. One of his previous employees states, I thought it was weird, but I was young, didn't know anything. When I asked why he took the photos, he said their moms asked them to. I remember the girls were naked. A model added, he said he was a professional, so in my mind I was being a model for him. He would show her spread after spread of naked teenage boys, most of which being way too inappropriate for an actual photo shoot. Police fear that some of the subjects may be additional cold case victims, one of which was 15-year-old Monique Hote, who, in 1979, was knocked unconscious and was raped while posing for photographs. In 1978, Alcala was a contestant for the dating game, which is how he got his name. Host Jim Lang introduced him as a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the darkroom at age 13, fully developed. Between takes, you might find him skydiving or motorcycling. Other contestant Jed Mills described him as a very strange guy with bizarre opinions. Alcala won the date with bachelorette Cheryl Bradshaw, who thankfully refused to go out with him because she found him creepy. Alcala killed Robin Samso and at least two other women after his dating game appearance. Some believe that that rejection ignited his spree. Robin Samso, a 12-year-old girl from Huntington Beach, disappeared somewhere between the beach and her ballet class on June 20th, 1979. Her body was found 12 days later in the Los Angeles foothills. Samso's friends told police that a stranger had approached them on the beach, asking them to take pictures. Detectives determined that Alcala matched the description of the man and eventually caught up with him at his mother's house. Alcala was arrested in 1979 and was held without bail. In 1980, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for Samso's murder, but the verdict was overturned by the California Supreme Court. 
because jurors found out about his prior sex crimes. In 1986, after his second trial, he was convicted and sentenced to death. A Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals panel nullified the second conviction in part because a witness was not allowed to support Alcala's argument that the park ranger who found Samso's body had been hypnotized by police investigators. In 2003, Orange County investigators matched Alcala's semen left at the rape murder scenes of two women in Los Angeles. Additional evidence led to Alcala's indictment four of the murders of four more women. Jill Barcombe, 18, a New York runaway found rolled up like a ball in a Los Angeles ravine in 1977. Georgia Wickstead, 27, bludgeoned to death in her Malibu apartment in 1977. Charlotte Lamb, 31, raped, strangled, and then left in her laundry room of her apartment complex in 1978. And Jill Parentu, 21, killed in her Burbank apartment in 1979. All of the bodies were found in carefully placed positions. Alcala wrote and self-published a book called You, the Jury, in which he claimed innocence for Sam So's case and suggested a different subject. He also filed two lawsuits against the California penal system for a slip and fall incident and for refusing to provide him a low-fat diet. For the third trial, Alcala represented himself. He took to the stand in his own defense and for five hours played the roles of both the interrogator and the witness. He would ask himself questions in a deep voice and then answer them. During that time, he revealed that he was applying for a job at Knott's Berry Farm when Samso was murdered. Alcala stated that he could not remember killing the women charged against him. After less than two days, the jury convicted him of all five counts of first-degree murder. The prosecutor argued that Alcala was a sexual predator who knew what he was doing was wrong and didn't care. In March 2010, Alcala was sentenced to death. In March 2010, several police departments released 120 of Alcala's photographs, hoping to identify them. 900 additional photos were too sexually explicit to be made public. In the first few weeks, 21 women came forward and identified themselves. Six families said they believed they recognized loved ones who disappeared years ago and were never found. None of the photos were connected to a missing persons case or unsolved murder until 2013 when a family member recognized Christine Thornton, who disappeared in 1977. All the photos are still online, with hopes that eventually they will all be identified. Rodney James Alcala's story is horrifying not solely based on his depravity and inability to connect with others and understand basic human connections, but because we, as a people, let a maniac into our circle. We let him into our entertainment. The dating show, whether canceled or not, was a franchise in which families were able to wind down and watch, as well as laugh, at the absurdity of dating. People going on to the show were hopeful at the potential of finding someone to date, but instead were faced with a fiend. 
Alcala's story proves that, even in the lightest of places, there is a shadow following right behind you. If you would like to reach out to us, you could do so on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tales of the Number Two Cities at gmail.com. Also, if you would like to hear an episode on your state, we would love to cover it. If you would like more goodies from us, please check out our Patreon. We offer one-time-only purchase deals that make it easy for anyone that doesn't have the financial abilities to help us monthly. You can also support us by checking out our merch store, which is listed on our Facebook website and our Instagram. Subscribing and rating us on your podcast device helps us us too. It really does. But, above all, and most importantly, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and stay tuned for more Halloween minis.